two, one. I love that. I don't know what it is. Whenever we do that, I get just a little bit of excitement. It's, it's the action. It's the action. So uh, get started. Today, uh, Mr. Ashish Panjabi joins us. Uh, Ashish is the COO of Jackie's Business Solutions, and he also manage and run Jackie's Electronics, the retail. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, good to be here. Good to catch up. It's, it's been, been a while. It's been a while. It's been we, a while. We keep saying we will, and then... And it just doesn't happen. And then COVID happens and a podcast happens and we're here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, COVID. Thank you, COVID, for bringing us together. Really appreciate it. Laith, nice to see you again. Oh, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while. Me and Laith basically are in each other's face, I don't know, 24-7? 24-7? Almost. Yeah, Almost. I don't know. I think Besma's getting a little jealous. <laughs> from Both wives are getting <laughs> jealous. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been preaching a lot throughout the last few episodes to the guests about, you know, my theories about retail, where retail is going. And I figured, you know what, enough of my own, you know, mind and what I think it'd be great to have someone who's actually physically has such a huge stake in retail here, as well as technology overall. And you see how this is all coming together. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to have you on. Plus it's an excuse to catch up with you. Yeah. Well, you know what? You forget retail is about the consumer. So we actually need to listen to you more. Okay. <laughs> so we actually, we wish we knew what was happening. It's you guys that tell us what's happening. Interesting. Interesting. That's an interesting point. Yeah, well, well what I've been saying and what I've been preaching uh, throughout is I think that, you know, that the whole brick and mortar retail experience is going to be less about shopping and buying and consuming in the traditional sense and more about experience. Uh, and your interaction with retail locations is going to be more around uh, going in, testing things, feeling things, feeling connected, personalizing that experience. And then you go and you order it online. You that's, know what I mean? Or uh, that, That's your generation. That's, a, that's our generation. The one after that's different. You think? It's already starting to change. So how do you see it? Like, where, where, what do you mean? <clears throat> so... Some things have never changed in retail, and, and 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 the basic thing is is retail has been about being where the customer is. Mm, That's okay. the basic thing, um, and 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 you pay rents to be in a shopping mall, yeah, where they bring in the traffic, or you say I'm going to have a standalone store, and I'm going to invest to bring in the traffic. Fair. So so the the the, the, the bottom line is getting people in the stores. Yeah. <clears throat> now, when the whole online thing comes in, that's no different because now your customer is online as well. Yeah. So you then have to start going online to where your customer is. To try to pull them into and, your... And, 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 and it's not one website versus your entire retail network. Mm. It's your entire online presence and your retail network. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and it's the same thing because when you go online, you're doing the same thing that you're doing in the physical world. If you had a standalone store, you're struggling or you're, you're marketing to get people into your standalone store. If you have your own website, you're marketing to get people to your website. True. And you do whatever it is to get them there. Or you say, I go where they are anyway, which is on Google searches, on Amazon, on Noon, on whatever else it is in this part of the world. Yeah. And you say, I'd be on there. I have my own store and I've got my physical retail as well. Now, do you see the physical retail reducing? Like, are you putting, opening up or when you envision, and maybe it's uh, something you don't want to divulge into too much details about, but now when you see the next four or five years, do you see you guys, uh, do you see yourselves kind of slowing down on the brick and mortar and kind of putting your funds more towards your online presence and really trying to pull, pull the customers in? Well, again, way? it's, it's about being where the customer is. Mm. And, and, and this is what we look at and we keep looking at it now. The, the, the fact is this was a city that had tourism yeah. and, and we had, what, 15 million tourists a year. Yeah. This, was the, the, this is the place that's going to have the expo eventually. Um, yeah. and, 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 and that isn't business that happens online. Correct. That's still shopping that happens in the door when they come in yeah. through the malls. Yeah, uh, you need and, footfall and, for yeah, that to yeah. happen. And, 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 and the whole concept of the mall has changed as well. The mall is not a place to go to buy. The mall is now an entertainment destination that has shops in there. Yeah. This is uh, it. And, 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 th and this is where things have changed over here. 
and we see the whole evolution of where everything went and and we have to be a part of that at the end of the day and and and, and you plan and you think so we we've made changes over the years and and we'll continue to make changes and 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 i think a lot of what we see right now in the press um is 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 the fact that they will come back and say x thousand stores have shut yeah or x hundred retailers have gone out of business the fact is a lot of those people pre covid would have gone out of business anyway true um true. It, it isn't because of covid it isn't because of online it's it's because retail formats changed so you think it just kind of just expedited the inevitable in many ways and and a lot of these things were going to happen anyway mm. um so if if you take for example fashion retail yeah um we were growing up we went to department stores i grew up in hong kong i went to a couple of big department stores over there and and that's sort of where i did my uniform shopping i did all my other stuff and and, and that's where we went to buy yeah in the us it was the same thing it was the macy's it was the bloomingdales it was the jc penneys it was all of them and then if you look at it where did things go it started going to azara it started going to an h&m it started going to standalone stores yeah that were there as well and they started taking away the customer from the department store um and if you look at every mall every mall got bigger with the department store as an anchor but all the guys that would have been in that department store had their own stores outside and this is it exactly and it was a change of that old retail format that sort of came in because it was the experience as you went in it was it was more control over the, over what you saw and what you, how you saw it yeah. and the standardization that they, the brand wanted to have and the image they wanted to have yeah and this is what happens with with any business that that like, went on so you knew in the back of your mind the department store format the classic format was dying was dying yeah it's 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 days were numbered and it was just a question of when you pull the trigger and this is we're seeing that now like debenhams uh i know they've run into their and then from the canadian side sears eatons sears eatons yeah. debay all of these come all of these companies are essentially obsolete now right They're, yeah but to his point that started way before covid you saw true. you saw it slowly slowly decline decline year after year and yeah. i think what covid did is just push it to the edge yeah, yeah, where it's yeah. now it's it's if you if you don't adapt you're going to fall behind yeah i mean you ended up in the department store in the last couple of years more for the experience or oh, oh, not for the experience for the price true that's where the bargains were true. so you waited for the macy sale yeah. and you sort of went in there for that exactly but then the outlet malls started coming up and that just killed that concept and, and, and that took all of that of so course. then you just said why wait for that when i go and go to an outlet mall in the us and shop over there so retail formats have been evolving all the time and and and, and again it's it's question of where the customer goes and and and, and understanding the different segments of customers it's interesting cuz i'm i'm now just trying to think of it because it kind of highlights something we keep talking we've spoken about amazon quite a bit and i kind of imagine like amazon is like the online department store mm. right do you see in the long run a similar kind of experience where where people say you know what i would rather go direct to the source and that experience with those individual retailers rather than go uh well like i said the customer online goes everywhere and it's a question of navigating where they go now it depends on the commodity in in the product amazon is a search engine today exactly um, more than anything they they they've turned exactly. into a search engine yeah and they're not the cheapest no yeah. they they're not the cheapest yeah. uh, i i remember what 10 years ago when we were doing stuff online and um there was there was a little plugin i got on on my browser that would every time i'd type in the name of a book it would show me the price on amazon and another eight or nine other websites and amazon was never the cheapest even then <laughs> uh, but, but they were the kings of of, of, of the books, books yeah. in, in those days and it's just the convenience it's the the fact that you know you're going to find it over there and 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 this and this was the old classic department store model this was a walmart model true um and 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 this is what they looked at and 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 yes you're going to have that because you know that they've got it there as you start getting into a little more detail and if you start looking at at things and you say do i really trust the third party seller that's on amazon or do you want to go back and uh, uh, to to a, to a more trusted source and, and and do that you look at that and we started off in you talking about going in the stores and 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 and, and the whole showrooming experience yeah that you go there you look at the product and you go let me check the price online that's what our generation does mm-hmm. yeah the guys after us do what they what's called web rooming and they go on the web straight and they're looking at things on there 
and then they may go to a store. And this is it. And that's a different dynamic that we need to adjust in and plan for. True. No, because uh, interesting. Because I kind of I'm trying to think of my own experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know until you just bought a new watch. Yep. Right. And so I did how, exactly that. So you checked it online first. Yep. Then you went to the store and you physically. Because it was that point where I had to make a decision whether do I do make the purchase online or do I still need to feel and, and hold and, and the this product. is the thing. This is the thing. So I, I was at a conference in Silicon Valley about four, six, seven years ago, and you had the uh, a fairly senior person from Flipkart. Flipkart is is one of India's largest uh, online uh, websites. Um, they compete with Amazon head on over there, and, and they've been acquired by Walmart since then. Mm. And and this guy was on there, and he was saying, if anyone can have a technology. I can show me on a smartphone how you can experience picture quality on the different TVs we sell on Flipkart. We're going to buy you immediately. No questions asked. Oh, wow. Because there's certain things that you need to go in the store for. To see. Yeah. To experience. Look and, and to experience. And it's, and it's, it's, it's not only TVs. It's, it's, it's with anything. You want to buy garments. You want to buy clothes. There are times you want to feel the fabric. True. You want to see how, how it feels in your hand. Um, and, and a lot of those experiences are still things where you can't really get that experience online. Mm. Something low value, okay, you can think of it, but return policies and things of that type are, are other types of things that come there. But again, the reverse logistics costs are huge. Of course. Yeah. And it's again a question of how long can you sustain that for? Um, and, and, and the fact is for a lot of online retailers, they were losing money because they couldn't hold that up. Interesting. Now, now, from your from what you've seen now through okay obviously what we've just gone through has put a major dent in the regular revenues that you usually see right but i'm more interested now in seeing that distribution of the revenue Do, uh, i'm i'm assuming and logically speaking you'd imagine that most of your or the majority of your sales now are being driven towards online purchases rather than in-store purchases. Are, have you seen that bump up? Because I've, I've so we did see we did see that. I mean, so we saw the worst of the worst. Uh, you can't go any lower than having all your stores shut. Um, uh, so so that was that was zero, uh, grand zero. And I don't think as a retailer, anyone ever expected to be at that for a month. Uh, mm-hmm. But what we did see was was the online channel. Now I think where the electronics industry is probably better geared compared to many others is that most of us have been selling online for a while because things yeah. like mobiles and things with yeah. laptops with the type of things you bought online yeah. fairly early on. So most of us are on version two, version three, maybe version four of our online strategy. Now we weren't like the guys in FMCG or the guys in fashion or the guys in furniture who were still on version one yeah. and struggling to get off the ground. So we were f- fairly well advanced. We were on a lot of the marketplaces. We had our own traffic. But we did see that exponential jump that happened as well. Um, and it was interesting it was because, okay, we had the typical products that we'd expect from in a, in a work from home environments to, to sell. So yeah. the laptops, the printers and, and things of that type. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of saw that in a couple of ways when the schools first shut, then when the government shut and then when the private sector shut. So we saw these three ways happen at that stage. Uh, but then we saw TV sell and we've, Rarely ever sell TVs online. And suddenly it was TVs selling left, right, and center because everyone's watching Netflix. <laughs> and they suddenly said, we want to upgrade the TV in a house. So we want another TV in the house because suddenly husband and wife are fighting over the same TV. Yeah, or the kids the and then their parents are fighting over the same TVs. <laughs> and everyone wanted their own TV in there. And, 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 and the limitation with televisions used to be you needed the cable box wherever the yeah. TV was. And now it's all Netflix yeah. or it. Amazon. Smart and then you TVs. say, yeah. as long as there's Wi-Fi around the house, we you can just have as plug many and TVs play. as you yeah. want. And you start. Plug and play, exactly. And, and, and it wasn't only the fact that they were buying TVs. It was the high-end stuff. So it was stuff at 40,000 dirhams. Wow. Selling online. And then and, and like, call up and authenticate. Are you sure you bought that? <laughs> <laughs> But, but that's what happened. I mean, when, when there is no other alternative, and again, this is this is sort of where, because we run some of the stores for Samsung over here, we started seeing those products selling through us mm. as opposed to the other places because when you're going to spend 40,000 dirhams on a television. I want to buy it from the source. I want to yeah. buy it from Samsung. You want to buy it from the place where I can where, where I know the warranty, these are the guys who can back form. it up. Exactly. Incredible. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a big point. And, and, and that's what happened over there. But then we saw the men's grooming products start to sell. 
uh, suddenly everyone had to get haircuts at home. Uh, you, <laughs> see, you see a lot of the baking products start to sell, uh, the nutri bullets and, and things of that type. And, and a lot of the research that's come out since then has been fairly interesting because we've seen, um, in fact, women's grooming product sales drop. Um, and, and, and this is data from across the region, okay. uh, from one of the research companies, because they weren't going out. But men's grooming products started selling more. Because they have to groom themselves now. And for the first time, they were out selling the women's grooming products. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think a lot has to do with it? Consumer electronics being so successful in, in these times because of the influx of when you buy a phone, when you buy something technology, you can go on YouTube or any other platform and you have multiple people reviewing products, comparing Samsung to, mm. you know, whatever it is, be it TV, be it phones, be it grooming products. That probably helped you versus uh, the, the fashion industry or any other industry because the, the information is there. You can compare it. You don't really need to be in a store to try something on. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the, 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 the fact is you've had all the online reviews, you've had every newspaper, you've had every magazine, you've got everyone sort of doing this and they've been doing it for generations. Yeah. Um, and and there's been no shortage of information. I mean, the, 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 the best thing the internet did was democratize information True. at the end of the day. True. And it's given you access to any type of information you needed. Um, <clears throat> and it, when we started selling online, so we started selling online in 1999, 2000. Oh, wow. So um, you've been doing it for a while Yeah, now. so so we were probably far too early um, when we did it over here. And the whole reason we did it is is we were mail order, uh, we were a mail order catalog company. So we had printed catalogs that we were selling from anyway. So yeah. the next step was to go online and it was a static catalog. And then it became a dynamic catalog where you start changing the prices more often. And we found a whole different audience that started buying from us and a whole different profile of products that we started selling. Um, I, I think that's really cool. Like, I, I may want to just pull it back a bit, and I think yeah. it's it's deserves a little bit more kind of background on it on on your business, on your family business, the size of the business, how many people you're employing, because it's it's a sizable operation that you guys are doing, and you guys have been doing this for years and years. Mm. And I, if I remember correctly, it started in Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, started in Hong Kong in 1970. So now we're 50 years old this year. Wow, which amazing. is yeah, which is amazing, which is, which is a. Uh, fairly large milestone and and we're multi-generational in the business so it's 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 my dad and his older brother who started the business um and 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 between them there was a 14 year age gap um mm. so there was there was sort of a half generation age gap between them wow and then there's my cousins and me and we've sort of got a fairly large age gap between us as well so every half generation we've sort of had someone else come into the business and it's it's been interesting to watch that evolve because it's it's it, you talk about first generation, second generation, we're sort of every half generation, we've got someone or the other coming in at yeah, this stage. Exactly. Um, so now my nephew's in the business as well, and, and he, he started a year or two ago. And, and, and we're sort of seeing the whole evolution of, of, of how we move on from there. Amazing. How many stores now in, in terms of retail stores, retail outlets, do you guys have a presence? So we've got, uh, at the moment, four stores for Samsung and mm -hmm. three as Jackie's Electronics. Wow. And the Jackie's Electronics are usually larger stores no 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 so i mean our, our format had been being the type of store where you can come in and come out fairly quickly mm. um so that was sort of between 1800 to three three thousand square feet was was sort of our sweet spot um nice uh the bigger box stores are where you go in and then you're sort of swallowed in and and, and either you confuse yourself or you spend a lot more time in there than, than you plan to true True. And, and so, so yeah, just coming back again. So when the business was initially set up with your father and your uncle, uh, the model was a little bit different. It wasn't straight into retail. They had done. No. Uh, retail only started in 1988. Um, so till then it was a mail order company. Mm. Uh, so selling from catalogs, printing catalogs in, 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 in uh, shipping around the world. And, and the whole reason was Hong Kong was a place where you sort of had everything in those days and it was duty free. Yeah. And we would supply to largely uh, the NGO community and the diplomatic community that had duty-free privileges for import, uh, primarily in third world countries where you didn't have access to product. So it's from the days when if you were a diplomat sitting in New Delhi or in Nepal or in Beijing, uh, you didn't have Sony televisions, you didn't have Kellogg's cornflakes, uh, you didn't have um, a Mercedes car. Um, 
So we used to literally do everything. So it it, it was it was a, a a point where we say, whether it's a pen or a plane, we can sort of supply you everything. Wow. And um, then and then you guys narrowed it down towards electronics, like. So we were doing a lot of things for a while, um, but the business itself started to change. And and we set up in Dubai in 1985. And mm -hmm. it was one of those, my dad says it was one of those transit stops that he came here and, and he was on his way back uh, to Hong Kong and he, he stopped in Dubai for a couple of days and he started looking around in the market and he saw the prices here were sort of different in a couple of the categories. Mm -hmm. And this was again a port where he had access to a lot of products, a lot of brands. And then he started looking at it and he said, there's an overcharge opportunity between Hong Kong and, and Dubai okay. uh, in terms of what you supply and then the logistics from here as well because we were talking a lot of the third world countries and, and by then a lot of the Far East, you couldn't call this country's third world anymore mm, in true. 1985. Yeah. Um, so your bigger markets were in the Indian subcontinent, it was getting into Africa and those are better served from here. Yeah, of course. Um, so, so part of the Indian subcontinent we did from Hong Kong, part of it from here. And it was a matter of, of which product it was and where it was cheaper and we supplied it out of there. And that's sort of where it went in. In 1988 is when we got into retail. And again, no strategy, no plan. It was completely um, accidental in, in a sense. It was a case of the building we were in, in, in Nasa Square in Dera. Uh, we had the office upstairs and there was a Sanyo showroom down, which got vacated. And the landlord came to my dad and said, do you want to open over here? And he said, we have stock in the warehouse. We may as well put it down here and, and get like some cash. Create a, showroom, yeah. create a showroom, exactly. And that's how we started. And we've been in that same shop right since 1988. Wow. And and everything sort of went from there um, as, as far as that happened. And then you had the Iraq war, then you had the rebuilding, and then you had the Russian revolution that sort of happened and, 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 and all all of those supplies. That That's a little out. bit of a history lesson for the younger viewers. There's yeah. all sorts of things that happened. In the between the eighties and now, right? So uh, unbelievable. No, yeah. that's a, that's a crazy story. But, but the fact is, coming back to to the to the earlier topic, the concept of multi-brand retailing didn't exist in this country. So if you wanted to buy a Sony television, you went to Jumbo Electronics because they were the sole distributors. It was JVC. You went to Oasis Enterprises. It was Panasonic. You went to Alpha Thame. That's right. But if you I wanted to buy, if you wanted to compare all three of them, you would never see all three of them on, in the same on, on one shelf together. Mm. And this is what we offered. And you sort of came in and you could see the three TVs, look at the picture quality, turn the sound up and then decide, yeah. this is the one I want. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And then now we're in this new age where you can go online, watch a million reviews. We're talking about Amazon, right? And you're saying it's a search engine. For me, I think when I'm, I, was, I was kind of reflecting on when you said that, I, I like to use it almost like a review place. Mm. It's you go, I go down straight to the comments and kind of see the experience with that seller, number one, and the experience with the product. And you kind of get a, a taste of both mm. in the Amazon, in the Amazon world. Yeah, I don't know. It's a wild. Do you, do you miss going to the mall? Do you miss going and having that experience? Not necessarily, no. I don't. It's good to have that experience in the back of your mind that you can go and visit a place where you can see the product that you're looking, but from, from, from my interest, no, I could live without malls personally. So, so I think it's interesting. I think what, if anything that this period is, is sort of given us and then, and I, you speak to a lot of people now and, and even ourselves, the fact that we're home and the fact that you're connecting virtually with a lot of people that you haven't been in touch with, or well, the fact that if you've started meeting, you're meeting in smaller groups, you're yeah. meeting more intimately, you're meeting in your house, it sort of takes you back to where you were once upon a time because I think we all got too busy. I we agree. got far too busy for too many years. It's true. And 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 it's 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 like anything. The moment you get overstimulated with too much information and too much in front of you, you lose sight of what's actually there. Absolutely. And I think we've learned to appreciate a lot more what's with us. Definitely. Um, so even now when you get into a mall. It's a lot more functional. You know what you're there for. You, you do that and you it's come It's purposeful. Out. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So that's a very good point. That's a very good point. But for me, it's like by not going to the mall and being able to get the product delivered to my house, you're avoiding looking for parking. You're avoiding to stand in line to pay for something. Mm. Um, it's, it's a much faster, smoother experience. Mind you, I don't mind going to the distributor. So similar to my most recent experience is I did my research online, realized this is a product I want. Okay, I'm at the point of 
making the purchase, I don't have an issue in buying it from the distributor right away. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a mall experience. For me, for other people, it might be different. Again, I mean, I, I, I talk to, for, for example, friends of mine in jewelry, and, and, and they've actually had to adapt in this period as well. So they say it was all about service and jewelry, mm. uh, especially the high-end stuff. So they go, they said, even then we were going to people's houses, but they would come into us a lot more. And now they're just going out and they're saying, we'll bring everything to you. We sort of understand your taste. We know what you like. You've been shopping with us for 15 years, 20 years, uh, or you have a wedding in the family. We, we understand you want something classical, contemporary. We'll bring it to you and we'll let you see it over there. That personalization, I think, is... It has its perks. That's the evolution. Yeah, it has its right? perks. The evolution of what's happening now, I think, is that retailers, sellers, brands, all of these people now are realizing that they need to make you feel special because there's a million options now. Mm, We're, mm. as you said, overstimulated. Mm. You want jewelry, there's 700 jewelers. You want electronics, there's 700 places to go and do that and, and different products and different things. And I think you need to make that person feel special. Yeah. Now, how, how are you trying to cater to that? Like I'm assuming you, all, you obviously have your subscribers list. You have a list where you're kind of putting out whenever you're having sales, all of that. But are you guys looking at or playing with different kind of models to give so, that so, so you sort of have to. So we, we started that. And then and, and the reason we went into the the brand store business a couple of years ago was, was exactly for that reason. Because even six, seven years ago, we could realize that in the multi-brand electronics market, it was getting overcrowded. It was getting mm. oversaturated and, 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 and there wasn't enough value addition between retailer to retailer. Uh, the products were getting commoditized. And uh, we happened to type with Samsung at, at that time. And, and it was a question of how do we get the experience in and how do we get people to, to enjoy that? Because you could go into a multi-brand store um, and, and, and you would want to buy TV. And, and if you were looking to buy a Samsung and you had an LG guy standing in front of you, a Philips guy or a Sony guy, you know what you want. Yeah. And you don't want to be annoyed by that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or or you go in there and you say, I want to look at the entire range from low end to high end or medium end to high end. Forget the low end. Um, that, that That's a slightly different audience. And you say, okay, I want to look at the medium to high end. But in a typical multi-brand retailer, they're going to keep on display what sells the best. Exactly. Yeah. So then you're suddenly limited in terms of what you can experience and what you can see. Or it's in an environment where you really can't, you don't have the space to look at it and understand it. And this person speaking to you doesn't quite have that degree of knowledge on it. He's the jack of all trades and the master of none, exactly. right? So, so this is this is sort of where we went down the brand store uh, route. And, and it was a fairly big experiment for us at that time because everyone was sort of going from the mono brand show, uh, uh, shop into the multi-brand. Mm. Uh, experience so a lot of the traditional brand agents over here who were running the single brand stores or were known for having one brand or two brand and had a few others in there sort of started all going multi-brand and we went the other way you went the opposite direction mm. every turn and said why are you doing that when everyone else is doing this and we sort of realized back then that you had to get the experience in because a customer wants to feel valued when they come in the store. Absolutely. And 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 if you understand who you're targeting and the level of service they need and the experience that they need, it does enough of that. So we worked with Samsung when the Galaxy Note 7 episode happened. Mm. Um, well, that must have been very interesting. That was, that to, was fascinating. To work with. That was fascinating because <laughs> we went through two product recalls. Just just for your awareness, I'm like the heart the hardcore Die hard Samsung. He, he geeks out fan. on it. Yeah, yeah. He geeks out. And we have this argument because I'm a loyal Apple person and we always have this. I've had Note 5 up until Note 10. Yeah. And I'll continue yeah. until I'm proven that it's not. So, so with the Note <laughs> this is such a skewed co- I, I, Guys, I'm feeling so much pressure. So I'm, I'm rooting like, for you all the way. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give you some lovely girl. <laughs> no, but I think j- just coming back, I mean, with the Note 7, the, the, the whole problem was, and, and, and for people who weren't aware of it, is, is, is you had a product that Samsung released that was recalled twice uh, because of, of product failures uh, mm. that it had. And we had to redo it and, 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 and uh, eventually refund everyone who bought it. Wow. Now, we're used to taking your money and giving you the goods. We're not used to doing it the other way around. 
and we had to figure out which bank is open at Friday night at, at 3 a.m. Uh, because we needed cash in the store the next morning. And wow. then what the, what the withdrawal limit was in, in getting cash out and in, in, in getting product in. And a lot of the retailers refused to do this. Yeah. So we were asked, take back everyone's goods, irrespective of where they bought it from. So it's like, send every Samsung to the Samsung branded so, so, stores. So imagine you walk into all of the Emirates yeah. and we've got the Samsung store upstairs and you've got every other retailer in there and they don't want to go through the hassle. They go, go up to the Samsung store. Oh no. Now, we had the option of giving back cash or trying to sell them the Galaxy S7. Which is a tough sell for a Note. 50% user. Bought, bought the S7. Wow. 50%, okay, 50%. Wow. Pretty, good, uh, pretty good turnover. 50%. Yeah. Now, those are people who didn't necessarily buy from us the first time around. So you got a whole flow of new customers. And, and, and this is what they understand with the experience. Ah. Interesting. And the fact that you're willing to do this and you've got the service counter in the store and you're willing to transfer the data for them and you, you can do all of these things. The experience. And that's the whole brand experience. Yeah. Amazing. And that's what the store is. And even now, okay, it's straight secret. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it a little quiet now, but <laughs> the moment they send someone to our store for service, that's the experience they get. That's it. And that's it. And then, then that's what we need. And then you've captured them. So that switched them. what seemed like a challenge ended up being a great opportunity yeah. for you and you've captured a whole well, new well, audience. Well, that and, and, and the fact that is, is we had a brand that was growing. I mean, the, the number one in, 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 uh, in, the, in the mobility space uh, with, with, with smartphones, the number one in TVs. Um, so the fact that you've got two strong categories as well helps mm. for sure. Yeah. Do you find, and I don't know what the percentage is between um, um, a smart buy, I'm going to call it, I don't know, for lack of better terms, versus an impulse buy. In this new world, do you think having that experience where everybody's kind of moving online, does it favor the impulse buyer or does it, how, how do the numbers work out? So, mm. so are people less likely to have an impulse buy now that they're not having that experience or, or going through the, That's a good question. the physical like experience? That. So I think impulse will always be there. It's just a question of how you, how you cater to that now and, and, and how you market it. And I, and I think with digital marketing, we've seen so much evolution in terms of how things have happened and the role of influences and, and everything else that's around. Um, so you sort of see that now. As far as the online part of it, I think the big difference has been is, is, is the acceptance now of being by credit card as opposed to cash on delivery, which is always a big thing in this part of the world. Because with, with cash on delivery, you had time to reconsider your decision. Yeah, true. There's a gateway. There's yeah, a, true. Yeah. 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 And the quicker you can deliver the product, the less time they've got to cancel as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you do your own logistics? For your online no, uh, I mean, you, you have to outsource. work with, 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 with best in class people. Uh, we, we, we've gone through this journey. Like I said, we started it online about 20 years ago and uh, we learned fairly quickly. There's certain things you outsource and you outsource them to the best people um, because they can scale up and they can do things far better than you. And exactly. you leverage off that. And this is it. Know your know your space, know mm. your role, stay in your lane. It's a plug for the show. And this is one of the reasons why I call stay in your lane, obviously. Absolutely. Is to know know your strengths where where they are and, and work towards those strengths, right? So but I, I, there's so many things now just running through my head. That question you had about the impulse buyer versus the educated buyer. Again, I once you said that, I kind of like dove into my own brain and I'm like, am I more strategic in the way that I purchase now or am I? Hmm, I like it. I feel like it's a combination of the two, right? I've been very big. I, I kind of went on this weird like Pandora's box. So I went through two Pandora's boxes of experiences during COVID time. One is we set up a podcast, right? So we just mm. went down this rabbit hole. We've been talking about it for a long time. And we decided to go ahead and do it. The second is I've been super intrigued by Shopify. Mm. Uh, I've always, I've always been a very big proponent on e-commerce. I always felt that that's the future, and I never had an opportunity. I, you know, I used to own a business, very traditional business, construction, brick and mortar. You build stuff, and you employ lots of people, and and I always felt like I'm missing out not doing this. So I kind of use the extra time that I had during COVID time to kind of see Shopify, understand that. And then you talk about triggering people, mm -hmm. right? Like urgency, giving people a sense of urgency when they're even, when they put stuff in their basket, give them a sale and create a sense of urgency with a timer. 
you know, and have that physical kind of experience yeah. and touch that emotion. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a combination of the two. So I don't know, like I feel I'm a little bit more educated, more systematic in the way I approach an online purchase or the way I do any sort of purchase. I go do my reviews. I'm a little bit more diligent. Listen, there are people today because of the fact that they've got a smartphone, they go through the shopping apps, uh, whether it be Amazon, Noon, whatever else it is, yeah. the way they were through Instagram. Exactly. Just so, flicking so, through. so they're just flipping through. So you do have that impulse in there that, that, that you can do. And, and, and the more data they've got on you, the more they understand you. And start catering it. And that's what freaks yeah. me out. Yeah. That freaks me out. Now we're, we're coming, now we're kind of like slowly diverting into the tech space, right? Into the, the way these technologies that we work with, how they're impacting us and how. I know you're, I, I'd like to consider you as a tech expert. I think you are. Right. You're an authority, I think, in this region, at least. You're always talking, you're always speaking, you get invited, you do all sorts of crazy things, the authority, Ashish. So now we have you here and we kind of want to pick your brain. There's a few things like 5G. Where do you see that? Is that coming? Yeah. How soon is it coming? I think we've been, they've been deploying 5G here for a while. Um, the question is, is it's, it's going to get accelerated now by things, by what's happened now, because of the demand for everything digital. And especially with the, in the work from home environment, mm. it's gotten that much uh, more more demanding at this stage. Uh, you think about e-learning, you think about all the things that we've done. Now, we've been fortunate in that the bandwidth held up. The moment they started saying old schools are going online, a lot of people oh, say, no. oh, let's see whether the internet works. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's crash. watching Netflix at the same time and you go, <laughs> can it hold up? It did. It did. And, 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 and credit to the people behind. We talk about essential workers in the back. Mm. Um, those people who got the internet running in this country were essential workers. And 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 and, and then the, I heard this term yesterday, someone said, they're not essential workers. Anyone who's sort of doing this work in this period is a sacrificial worker because they're sacrificing mm, true. everything to be there at this stage, true. Uh, including their own well-being. True. Um, so things like 5G are going to happen. Um, the expo was supposed to be about 5G. Um, that's what, yeah, that's the yeah, focus, yeah, the, yeah. the theme of it. I didn't because, know because it was, it was about technology. At the Did end you know that? No. Uh, well, well they, they were they were of course going to do that. So this is why you had the telecom companies here. They had the infrastructure ready. They they've had everything ready. So after South Korea and a handful of other countries, we had one of the best networks in the world, uh, up know. and running and, and ready and, and being being tested. Now things are going to happen, um, and, and and we'll see it. But I think it's it's going to start coming in in ways that we don't feel it uh, right now. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be what happens in your car, what happens with the TV, what happens with with the appliances in your house, and all of these things being natively five G connected, and mm. then what that means to us. Uh, we talk about driverless cars in the future, and then of course. things like that. All of those things need five G. Yeah, yeah. They, they they that that that's going to be the backbone of it. Um, and and that's going to happen, and it, it's 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 not a question of I can call you fast or I can download a movie quicker. That that's that's a small byproduct of it, yeah. and then that's a small benefit. But that's not actually what's what's going to happen. The true function of it, the real transformation, is going to be when you can start getting in the car, and it's sort of like the Jetsons. Yeah, um, exactly. And 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 you're floating around, and 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 things happen without you even realizing it. Yeah, we just spent so so on the last episode we we had we we touched on that the EV the evolution of EV Tesla its role in it and you know I I think it's coming right whether you like it or not and I think what happened now just kind of pushed things along even further right yeah. like just kind of forced that that issue I mean the only thing is 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 with with the tech community um, they've had to go through a number they've had to go through a matter of consolidation as well in this period. Um, so, so I was, I was listening yesterday to an interview that, uh, the CEO of Uber was doing, uh, and, and he was talking about it that, okay, they've had to now suddenly pause on certain projects because they had so many things that they were doing at the same time. And then you start saying, okay, you need to keep the business running and make sure that business still exists in two years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if people aren't driving Ubers around, uh, and that's the cash cow of the business, you need to resize the business for a while. Yeah. Keep it in there and then say, I'm going to hold this or go slow on it until I can build up the base again uh, with the with the other cash that comes in and then start putting money onto that again. So we may see a small blip 
for the time being, but but it's going to be something that comes back. So a, a blip in the in the way the technology is transforming, like is that w- what you mean, or it could be, yeah, because end of the day, you need cash to burn to invest uh, in in R and D, um, mm. and 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 if you've got the cash, you can do it. So if if an Uber has got the cash uh, from from the rides, they can do that. If they don't have people riding, they have to think what they do. Yeah, um, and and this is sort of what we saw with Uber Eats and Kareem. Yeah, they came together. They, coming they, together on, on the food delivery side over here. Uh, they, 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 they've, they've had to look at these type of things all over the world. And I think a lot of what's happened is is is, is that bubble we lived in um, is now starting to, to get rationalized. True. Um, and it's with any business over here. Uh, we, we look at property, we look at real estate, and you, and you sort of said, did we need all of this at that time? And, and, and do all the shopping malls that are being that are being constructed actually make sense yeah. at those prices and and is there a need for it and you sort of start looking at everything and you come back to it and say where does it fit in true no i was i was reading an article and and it would be interesting to get your take on it and it was around around the responsibility of the provider of the space so you know in this case the builders of the malls all the big big companies that we have here and the responsibility and the role of the retailer itself Mm. and who's trying to do what. And traditionally it was, okay, we have the space, we're driving traffic and it's your responsibility to get that traffic, to buy something in your store. Now the problem has become, I won't say the problem, but the challenge has become the opposite. Now it's the responsibility of this place uh, where you have your retail shops that's trying to pull in traffic. And there's an unfair, I don't say unfair, but there's a an imbalance, I think a traditional imbalance, where they were in the power position and everyone was fighting for space in their, in their locations. Mm-hmm. And now kind of things have changed. How do you, that's a very sensitive no, subject. No, it's, 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 it's sensitive, but it's simple. When you develop an infrastructure project, an infrastructure project is supposed to have an ROI that lasts over a number of years and and, and you finance it over a number of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's utility for it over a number of years. True. Uh, When you look at some of the developers over here, they build a project and a year later they cannibalize their own project and a year after that they cannibalize their own project with another project of theirs. And every winter they seem to have a new project. Yeah. Now you can't sustain that. True. And and the responsibility has to come back in terms of how you designed and built that to begin mm. with. And and if they've done something wrong in that, uh, that's something they have to be accountable for. But it's it's not only them; it's who financed them. True. And how did they let them finance them? And now you've got all the banks uh, scratching their heads and saying, "Why did we get involved in this, or why did we do that?" Right? And they're asking all the tough questions now. Yeah. So, so the, there is there is the, now the benefit of hindsight coming in, uh, but you just hope you don't make the same mistakes again. This is it. Are, are we going to all have this like short term memory? Oh, I think we will. I think it's human nature. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I think a part of me now that we've gone through what three months, three mm-hmm. months of COVID, and and in my line of work, we're always looking for new solutions to adapt to the market. And for the last two months, they're like, okay, we need to find COVID solutions and kind of had a meeting the other day. I'm like, guys, let's take a step back. All these solutions that we're thinking about, these new solutions or existing solutions that we're trying to adapt to the new world, once there's a vaccine, they kind of become obsolete or, or your, your, your unique selling proposition becomes not there anymore. So this is the thing. Solution selling is, is about fixing a problem. And you need to identify what the problem is first. Um, and, and, and I think this is where a lot of people go down a rabbit hole is, is, is they don't actually realize what the problem is. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they're, 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 they're with a nice to have, not a must have. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and this is, this is if, if, if it's a nice to have and you can't justify what the problem is that you're trying to solve, you've lost it over there. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with this. A, a vaccine may help two or three strains of COVID, but not the other 17 yeah. uh, that exist over there. Mm. Um, so there are things that are going to happen with the lifestyle that are going to change. Grew up in Hong Kong. They've gone through SARS once. They've gone through bird flu. They've gone through various things over there. 
So certain things were a part of life over there. Yeah. And the fact is you had sanitizers everywhere. Face masks were, were a fairly common sight, even during a normal time over there. If you saw someone with a face mask, it's you normal. Didn't, you yeah, didn't think see. about it. Yeah, you yeah. said, okay, that, that's their choice. And, 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 and that's how they, they, they're going to walk around. Fine. And, and you did that. And it's going to be a lot of that now. Mm. Um, the fact is we've now learned a lot of lessons in terms of things that we took for granted at, at one stage of, in, in our life. Yeah. Uh, and, and we need to be more aware of it going forward. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, this is what we start adjusting to. So for example, a little plug over here. Um, one of the businesses plug, we got plug. into is, 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 uh, we do now escalate escalator sanitization equipment. Um, so it's a little device you add onto an escalator. And that kills all the bacteria on the escalator handrail every time someone gets onto Ultra, it. Ultraviolet through ultraviolet or ultraviolet chemical and, and with rollers. So it's wow. a three-step process. So it's 99.99 percent uh, virus-free by the time it comes out. Every time a new person gets on the escalator. Now the fact is, the average escalator handrail is 17 times dirtier than your toilet seat handle. Mm, nasty. I knew about the shopping carts, but I didn't know about yeah, the, nasty. the escalator. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you, you can say don't hold the hold the escalator handle, especially you're going down. You've got your kids with you. You've got someone older with you. You've got someone who's who's off balance. You need to hold on to that thing. Of yep. course. But now it's a question of that's a problem that you need to look at because that's how you stop anything getting spread over there. Yeah. Um, and 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 these are the type of things that that you start thinking of. Is 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 this has to be there because. This is again where automation comes in because even even something like cleaning and then this is an area I've been spending a lot of time on in in, the, in this month yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or last two months is how has cleaning changed and the role of humans versus automation in cleaning mm. and 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 you say you've got humans and you've got automation or robots and then you have a field called robotics which is a, where the robot is now the coworker to the yeah. human mm. uh, and 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 this is sort of where it's going because. In, in this situation where you're trying to keep viruses free, you're trying to keep surfaces clean, it's about frequency of cleaning. It's about how often can you clean those surfaces. And that isn't what a human does very well. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the humans do the spot cleaning and the dusting. And, 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 and that's sort of where the focus was. Yeah. And cleaning sort of was one of those things that happened in the third shift, <laughs> in the graveyard shift. Yeah. And now it's sort of coming in to the first and second shift as well. Interesting wow. you mentioned that. So I think it was yesterday. Yeah. I came across this article, this company in um, Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, they're a 3D company, 3D mm. printing company. Mm. Mm. Uh, they specialize in 3D printing um, um, uh, metals. Mm. So they, they did a study and they found that active copper um, kills micro microbes and germs. So um, when co so they did a test on COVID, COVID-2. Yeah. Um, and apparently within one hour of contact of COVID with active copper, 95% um, of the COVID microbe dies. So we, we've got a material we're working with as well that does something similar. So now, oh, interesting. Yeah. So now what they're doing is they're looking at coding every stainless steel touch point, whether it be, you know, the washroom, doors, handles, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. uh, spray it with, with, the, with that active copper and wow, it helps. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's, it's you know, thinking outside of the box, using existing solutions that we have to 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 fix the problem. So you guys are, you guys have something similar, or that that you're working on? We are, we are. It's it's it's, it's sort of being tested at this stage, um, and then we've actually just got the samples in. But I mean, the, these are these are the things we're looking at. Is 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 in the long term? Where do you start finding solutions to all of these things? Because you've killed one strain of the coronavirus, but. What to say in the next exactly. it's mutating in, it's in, mutating in, in the next flu season what comes next exactly well, these are sustainable solutions yeah. so regardless yeah. of yeah. what microbe or version of well, it this comes, is it. this will that solution will stand this is it this is it. you know it's great you segued really well to it because that was the one of the things you know i think we really wanted to talk about and kind of pick your brain on is is 3d printing right yeah. i know that's something that you guys are very active in i remember you talking about 3d printing to me ages ago and i yeah. think the technology's been around for a while it's not that it's uh extremely you know it's about 30 years old it's, yeah it's about yeah. 30 but really found its practical space in the last say five years maybe 10 five to 10 10 years old yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so it's it's a place that i think you guys you have a presence in an active presence in so where you know 
what's going on with that? Like, <laughs> it's a very silly question, but it's like a very broad question. Yeah, well, broad I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that people come back and, and they say, what happened to it? And we said, what, what do you mean, what happened to it? <laughs> it's still and, there. And no, it, it, was, it was a thing from, from, from uh, I guess, the press and the media a couple of years ago where they said a printer's going to be in every house and you're going to be producing everything in your house on a 3D printer. Well, it's not going to be that. 3D printing is a lot more complex than that. Yeah. Um, because, A, you need to have all the different materials you can print on. Mm -hmm. And there isn't one printer that does everything. Uh, there are different technologies for different yep. things. So when you talk about metal, um, you've got what's called an SLA or SLS process where there's either a laser involved yep. or you've got a powder involved and in, 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 in you're working on that. Or uh, you have what's called an FDM technology, uh, which is sort of using a plastic and melting it at high temperatures to have it there. Or you have a polyjet technology, which sort of works like an inkjet printer in, in, the, in the way it works. But each of these technologies works well on different materials. Mm -hmm. And it's a question of finding the right material for the right printer. And then the speed at which they work. And then having the designs ready and being able to, to create something. Um, and then being able to finish it because it's, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that you still need to put it together and assemble it and, and, and fix it as well. True. Uh, and, and, and have it feel right in your hand. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the door handle behind lathe and I said, that doesn't come out shining like that. That requires a process that requires yeah. Some, a finishing process, whether chemical, whether uh, blasting, whatever it is, um, to get it there in, in, in that in that position. And that's sort of where a lot of people thought it's going to happen in the house. It isn't. Um, this part of the world, the big thing we did see, though, was the use of 3D printing in education. Yeah. And it went into schools and it went into universities. And, and, and 3D printing is, is one of those technologies, um, a lot along with, with AR, VR, and, and, and a lot of them. You look at them in comparison to where the computer industry was 30 years ago. Mm. Most kids got their hands on a computer for the first time in school. True. But very, 30 very years true. ago in a school, you went in and there were a couple of computers in the school. And then there was a lab where there were 30 computers in there and then the whole class could go in yeah. and, and, and be on it. And then it went from the 30 computers in school to everyone having one. True. And then that kid graduates from school, gets into the workplace and the computer's everywhere. Yeah. And this is where these technologies are, is, is, is they're getting used in schools and they're working their way up. And it's the one 3D printer in the school to the lab of 3D printers mm. to it eventually reaching in, into places where it goes. And, and the technology starts evolving and changing with all of that as well. Wow. And and all of these things sort of go that way. So this part of the world, we've got that now. The thing that excites me over here uh, more, more than other places is we've got a young population. We've got a lot of kids in school. Yeah. And they're learning to use this technology natively. Um, and, and and they've got the funding for it over here. Uh, you go to places in Europe as well, and, and, and they barely sell into education because who's going to pay for it? True. Uh, you go in the U.S. and they're asking school districts to pay for it. And they're asking parents to, to put collections for it so that the local school can get a 3D printer. Um, so how are they using it here? Like what, in, in the school setting? So what, they're just playing around with it, just kind of testing it? So, so you've got two types of schools. You've got the school that keeps it for the school tour. <laughs> which we will see. To, to justify <laughs> the exorbitant fees that they charge, yeah. okay. Um, but no, you've, you've got the actual school, which is now embedding it into the curriculum and, and when everything's coming down to STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and you start putting the different disciplines together, you start looking at it. So for example, there was a school uh, we worked with several years ago and, and, and you need someone with a passion for it. Uh, so there's this particular teacher in there and, and she was using it for everything. She would walk around the school and, and they had a bird feeder that fell off one of the trees. And she gave the kids a challenge to design bird feeders for the trees. Amazing. So different kids were designing different bird feeders. And then they put them up there and then they start learning about ergonomics, start to look at what the, what the different birds liked, yeah. which design sort of suited better and analyze it and understand it. And, and you learn so many things in that process. Uh, they had the drama department in school and they had a lapel mic where the clip had broken off. And you don't, you don't necessarily find the clip so easily. So the challenge for her kids was, can you design a microphone clip? And that was a challenge that they had. And, so and it's not just about finding the right material or how to how to hit the print button or use, you know, how to use the printer. It's how do you 
copy and paste that existing object in front of you? How do you model it? This is it, right? And translate it into a design. And where do you take it to the next step? So now the, the, the big thing I've seen is, is, is we've been a region that's been a net importer. Yeah. We've imported everything for years. And where I see us moving in the long term is, is we go from being net importers to being net exporters. Net exporters of, of knowledge. Yeah. Next export, net exporters of, of design and creation. Now the manufacturing can happen anywhere because you can, you can do distributed manufacturing yeah. now. Yeah. But the fact that the you've idea. designed it over here, you've yeah. done it over here, is what gets it out there. And I think this is what excites me when you've got such a young population uh, in, in any country in the region, you look at any country, at least half the population is below the age of 25. Yeah. And this is what they could be doing. And I remember I was, I was at, at, at a retail conference many years ago and, and there was a girl who put a hand up and she was a, a designer, a fashion designer. And she said, you know, I'm struggling to get my designs in any of the retailers over here. Um, and Giorgio Armani was Giorgio Armani in Italy before he's Giorgio Armani to the world. Yeah. How can I be anywhere in the world if I can get anyone over here to list me? That's a very good and, question. And, and, the, and the moderator turned around and said, to the panel that was on the, on the stage and they're all fashion guys and said, who's going to help this girl get her stores, her, her designs in, in, in their Put stores. The and you had two or three of the large guys in there and then one or two of them said, we'll give it two weeks. Wow. And that's how the, at least that person's journey started. I don't know what happened with it after that, but this is what has to happen is, yeah. is eventually. And, and, and I think this is now the beauty of where things have gone digital. You look at all the different people on Instagram designing things and creating things and selling things. Um, and making a name for themselves and yeah. getting their own avenues and own outlets to now make and create and design and invent. And this comes back to the Shopify thing I was talking about. And that's it. I think a majority of what you see on those feeds, right, when you're scrolling yeah. through those ads are generally like a lot of them are Shopify. People come set up a website within two, two weeks and then advertise on those platforms and promote and push anything and everything. Right. Yeah. And now, like you said, you don't need to even have the manufacturing or even the stock. And I think that's where in the Shopify world, uh, like I said, I went down that rabbit hole where it transformed is that you no longer have the responsibility to manufacture or even hold the stock anymore. So the distributor model got kind of even shifted to what they call drop shipping. Right. So your actual manufacturer serves your order and all you're doing is receiving the order, doing the transaction and then kind of just feeding the money. Yeah, I mean, simple example. I, I was years ago. There was there was a major distributor I was talking to, and he said the role of a distributor is two things: is to be DHL and HSBC. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't need DHL or HSBC, you don't need the distributor. Yeah, true, true. But in 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 our, do you see that model breaking in our in our region? Because it, it is, it is. It's it started to. So, a lot of the traditional distributors, and I call logistics partners. Mm. This is what they do. They're the guys who pay the 5% duty, input the goods, and then they're told, deliver this here, deliver this there, and this is the price you're going to charge them. That's it. That, 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 that business has changed. Yeah. So they're a service provider more than anything so else. So it's a brand that now says, this is the strategy, this is what's happening, instead of the distributor driving all of that. That's sort of what happened here 10, 15, 20 years ago. And do you see that as a, as a good thing or a bad thing? Like How, how do you see it? Depends what industry you're in, I guess. But I think um, at a we're at least on par with the rest of the world, mm. uh, and, and we're not left behind. Um, the experience is at least uniform. Um, but I think for someone who's coming up, it makes it a lot more difficult as well. Um, of course. How, how do you compete with the Heinz if, if you've got your own brand of ketchup? True. No, yeah. very very true. Very very true. We're talking about so. so Again, I'm going to kind of pull it back towards the, the printer and the 3D printing. Do you see that as replacing traditional manufacturing? Because I'm trying to think of it. So it, it complements it. So, so we don't call it 3D printing. We call it additive manufacturing. Um, and okay. you have additive manufacturing and then you had what we call subtractive manufacturing technologies. And it's how the two things work together as well. Because we've also got technologies in subtractive manufacturing that we sell. Okay. Um, and, and there's certain things that subtractive does extremely well, and there's certain things that additive does extremely well. And it's about having the two things that complement each other and in, in terms of how they can take advantage of the different processes. So I think what 
that 3D printing will do is you can prototype a lot faster. Okay, so what, what a 3D printer allows you to do is create the designs in-house, test it in-house, instead of waiting and giving it to someone outside. Um, so think of it like desktop publishing. Desktop publishing, 20 years ago, you wanted to design a brochure, you gave it to an agency, they went out, they designed it, they came back, they showed you the physical brochure, yeah. the mock-up, and you looked at it and said, nah, can you change this? Uh, you've got a designer in-house who uses Directly. a tool in-house yeah. um, and, 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 and makes it on there and recommends them three suggestions. He emails you a PDF yeah. or you're looking at it on, 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 the, on the same screen as him uh, on your smartphone and you say, this is the one go. Exactly. Yeah. This is the same thing. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying because I was like, I, obviously before you coming, I, I kind of was trying to look at all the different applications of it. And it's just honestly, literally everything. And I was seeing something that was funny about Bahrain, a place that I used to live. Bahrain had printed coral reefs hmm. and actually put it. Wow. And, and then that coral reef actually developed, like it built and created a space for the fish to come in well, and survive. They're building houses now 3D. Through 3D it's, printing. Well, I mean, you go over here. They did one here in Dubai as well, well right? You've got that. You had the 3D printed office as well. Um, but you look at even even the the airline. The airline industry has been one of the big ones that have been using 3D printing. So if you look at Strata, based in Abu Dhabi, mm. they 3D print a lot of what goes in every Boeing and every Airbus over there. Wow. Okay. In-house. Um, because, because you think about it, when you're not producing and manufacturing at scale, it's a lot cheaper to go individually yeah um when when, okay. when you look at okay um the airbus 380 sadly isn't going to be around much longer <laughs> but but when the first airbus 380 came off the production line versus airbus 380 number 50 versus airbus 380 Costs number 100 yeah. uh, it wasn't the cost it was even in terms of how the plane was designed started to change a little bit because they learn things along the way mm. and they make changes along the way and if they were going to make mass produce 100 of the same thing a, they wouldn't produce 100, they'd produce 1,000 or 10,000 because that's when it would make sense to True. produce it in volume. And then think of the wastage and everything else that's there. Yeah. The other thing is when you now talk about personalization and customization and everything wants, everyone wants their own way of doing it. So if you look at fashion, fashion's going digital as well. Yeah. Um, and, and then this is one of the industries we've been trying to look at is, is how do you get digital printing in fashion? Um, how do you get it in, 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 in other avenues? And and everything in sort of printing was was driven by old analog processes. Yeah. Um, and we're now starting to see everything start to go digital one by one. Um, so your billboards, your shop signs, your um, your packaging on, on on the product. So if you had, example, the Coca Cola uh, cans or, 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 or bottles that were there, and they started coming with a name on them. Yeah. Uh, exactly. That's personalization. Mm, of course. Now, your name's Namir and you don't find a can with Namir on it. Makes me really sad. Please, guys. It is, Namir. But, but, but there was, this was something a Coca-Cola could have done in other parts of the world because they're using the digital technologies and they said, okay, we'll print it for you. And we'll ship you a case. I would love that. Yeah. Coca-Cola, send me a Namir branded Coca-Cola can. Yeah. I'll have it here on the table for you guys. Yeah. Uh, amazing, man. It's just, I, I'm, I'm just like... Whenever we talk about these things, right, and, and what I love, come back a bit about our, our personal kind of endeavor into this world of podcasting is we get the chance to kind of talk to people and it kind of brings all these thoughts, all these things into fruition and kind of, not in fruition, but also kind of gives you a perspective. So you're a person that is experiencing this in a different level than we are. Right. We see it through the news, mm -hmm. our little few interactions that we get. And then you have someone that's on the forefront or someone that's involved in that promotion and, and where it's going. And it's just the personalization you've brought up, the digitization, the, you know, everything kind of going online uh, experiences. Where do you see all of this now in, in five years? I'm going to give you if you have goggles. Yeah. And I'm going to put you on the spot. What's happening? So, I mean, it's, it, it comes back to where I started from. I said the internet sort of democratized information. Um, where all of this is, is now going is democratizing creation. And I think we're all creators at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, we're all different at the end of the day. And all these technologies eventually let us do exactly what we want. Exactly. 
Now, to link it all up and then go back to where retail comes in. Yeah. Now think of the retail stores, the factory. And the 3D printer isn't in everyone's house, but you've designed what you wanted in your house and you go to the store to pick it up because they produced it for you. And think of the shopping mall as, 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 as a line of factories now. And that you see that for all lines of business, fashion, technology. Think of sneakers. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is think that of sneakers. I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, my size, shoe size is this. Here's the, the, the material I'd like for you to use. Here are the designs. And I email it to you and I end up coming a day or two later or even an hour later. Yeah. yeah. And it's hot yeah. off the press. Yeah. Wow. And it's unique, customized. Think of furniture. Think of anything. So you see that, see that potentially happening. That that's, could. That's, that could. That yeah. could. If everything goes in the right way. I'll use that tagline, <laughs> democratization of creation. Creation. Wow. Wow. We know what the episode is going to be called. You <laughs> <laughs> just gave us a name for the episode. Um, on that note, on that note, Ashish, thank you so much for coming. Honestly, it was, it was just crazy, man. Like uh, a lot of information. We'd love to have you back on Definitely. again, Definitely. you know, because uh, we'd love to pick that, that brain of yours a bit, a bit more. It's a bit sore now. I'm sure it is. We got we got you working, but honestly, it was amazing. Leith, thank you as usual. Anytime. See, I'm I'm trying to be more uh, cordial, <laughs> formal with my friend Leith here. Um, thank you guys for watching. As usual, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, uh, and yeah, we'll catch you on on the next one. Right, uh, next one is with our who's our next one. I'm trying to think now. Aldoro. No, no, before. So I, we have our cousin, my cousin, Mahmoud Dura, uh, an IFBB professional bodybuilder. He's going to be on the podcast on Friday, next yeah. Friday. But we have a Tuesday one with Kerning Culture. Kerning Culture. That's right. Right? See, that's what I'm saying. A, yeah. Hiba Fisher. Yeah. So it's going to be amazing because she's uh, started the first podcast network in the Middle East. She got venture capitalists behind her. She's someone that we... I look up to, you know what I mean? Like, so she's definitely, uh, definitely, definitely on the forefront, the godmother of podcasting in the, in the region. I don't see how she likes that, <laughs> that terminology. So yeah, join us on the next one. Thanks for the love. Appreciate it. Catch you on the next time. Flip side. See you Thank later. You.